Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. Unfortunately, I'm not with Emmy-nominated Miniature Mouse right now because some unfortunate news brought me to Detroit in a hurry. Where I'm at, we're separated. I apologize. More bad news. It's also going to affect the fact check, but we are going to record the fact check for this episode when I return, and then we will slap it on there. So if you miss it, as I know I will, you can kind of revisit it and hear what we had to say uh, posthumously. So today we have, um, you know, we've had a few guests that I have fallen head over heels in love with that I didn't know before interviewing them. My guest today, Kumail Nanjiani. Oh my goodness. What a love connection. I got to say, if, if we were on that show, we would have gone on a second date. He is here to talk about many, many things, but among them, he has a new movie called Stuber. It's out July 12th at a theater near you. Please check that out. And please enjoy Kumail Nanjiani. You two are going to fall in love with him. Also, I love you and miss you, miniature Maximus Mouse. We are supported by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can do much more than build a website. You can also sell custom merch. Guys, this is what we do on Squarespace. We have a merch team, and we offer it all on a website beautifully built by WobbyWob on Squarespace. Simply design your products, and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you. With Squarespace, it doesn't matter what you sell, physical goods, digital products, services, they have all the tools you need to start selling online. Just take one of their professional website templates, then customize the look, update the content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want so you can stand out online on any device. For a free trial, just head to squarespace.com DAX. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code DAX to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. We are supported by Smucker's Uncrustables. Oh, do I love these. I also love a food hack, and this is a good one. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them. Pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. He's an Well, Marin, I guess we had Marin, and we've also had uh, Hardwick. But I would imagine, other than those two folks, we've not talked to somebody with more podcast time under their belt than you, mm. having had a few podcasts, right? Yeah, I've had two two podcasts. So not a few, a couple, I a guess. Couple. Early though, I want to commend how early you were yeah. into it. Right when I moved to L.A., I started a podcast. Of course. And then I started an X-Files podcast called X-Files Files a couple of years, a few years later, before the new season started. <laughs> right, right. And so I've I've done a lot of podcasts. Now, when you had done X-Files Files and then a new season was coming out, did you feel like perhaps you had been a part of that? Green, green, green lit I can't say that, but other people were saying it and I can't stop them from saying it. I actually, because of my podcast, some of those writers would listen to it. Sure. So I got in touch with them and they would 
come on the show uh-huh. before the show, the new season was even approved or whatever, picked up. And then I'm in an episode of the new season. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. oh, so you willed this whole thing. Yeah. I, really I, I have to assume you were very sincere and genuine in your love for X-Files. Yeah, it's my favorite show. Right. So wasn't that wonderful to get to like Full get the circle. writers and then be uh, on it? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I talk to people who are like, when they really love something, they like revere it and they don't want to be part of it. Mm. I'm not like that. Oh, right. Like, if I really <laughs> right. love it, yeah. I want to be in it. Yeah. Oh, if I could time travel. Well, there's a list of things. First thing is I have sex with uh, Monica's grandma. Yeah. That's number one. She's the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, when did you see her? She, there's and a, why do you need a time travel machine to have sex with her? I think more I'm worried about her safety at her age. Right. Well, you She's could. An elderly lady. You think I could be, gen- be Tinder? Be checking in. Yeah. That's true. That's a good oh, point. Oh, you have different speeds, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wish I did. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a sprinter, it's, not a marathon only runner. Maximum. <laughs> maximum. Maximum effort. Yeah, when you pull down my pants, there's a picture of a rabbit, not a turtle. There's no <laughs> dial to turn it to turtle. <laughs> it doesn't last very long, but it is very intense for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't enjoy it, but the good news is it'll be over very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> yeah. This it's end. like getting a shot, you know? Uh, okay, so I'm going to take a, uh, there a time a machine. There's a picture. There's a On picture her wedding of, day. Yeah, turns out that's just lore. It's not really from her wedding day. Oh, it's but not. We'll keep saying but it. She, she looks beautiful. She does oh, look beautiful, yeah. There's no arguing. We actually, Monica's like thought I was getting carried away, but then we posted a picture of her and resoundingly everyone was like, oh yeah, most beautiful woman ever lived. It was okay. conclusive. I, I want to see this picture. I'll Is show it, you. Where, yeah. I'll and, show okay, you. so th- right after I finished that, I scoot over to Oregon in 1980, and I have sex with Ma Anad Sheila. Okay. She's okay. next. I get it. Great. Again, she's still around. She is, sure. and I haven't ruled that out. Again, I'm married, but in the time travel, I won't be somehow. Right. No, you won't be. Because I won't even be born yet. Right. <laughs> Let me see. Take oh, my God. Yeah, she is beautiful. Zo- yeah. Kamel, wow. zoom in on that shit. I mean, it, she is... Did you just She's, zoom in on that shit about her? <laughs> no, the photo is the shit. She gets a lot of wow. you know, disrespect is, here. <laughs> no, she has adoration and love. She has very, like, um, uh, uh, her eyes are very, I don't know the word. Intoxicating? In, well, I wasn't going to say mysterious. Well, these are all editorializing. I was trying to find a more neutral word uh, while still being positive. I didn't want to right. convey. Uh-huh. Being very... Uh, diligent about picking the right adjective. Like, I was about to say. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for it. I was about to say, isn't it the the pressures more than ever? You got to get that adjective just Correct. bullseye. You got to get it perfect. I, I, the, the first word. I'll say the first word that came to my head. Okay, it's good. It's gonna sound negative, but it is not negative. Okay, okay, let's hear. The first, and it's not you. It just the first word that was heavy, and I don't mean heavy in a bad oh. way. Heavy eyes. I just meant heavy, like they're full of stuff. They're deep. Yeah, they're deep. Yes, I agree. There's like a there's like a stuff going on in her eyes mm-hmm. that's very weighty. It's int- Yeah, it seems very interesting. Like I, intrigued. She is yeah, very. I like that. I, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, then stop number two. All right, and then number is Mon. Not Sheila. And so these are both sort of like brown women. Sure. Both are Indian. Ma Anand Sheila was I from so. India. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. certainly. Yeah, because yeah. the Bhagwan was there in India. Sure. So that's a little bit of a pattern has emerged. But third stop is. How could if you I could not have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> third, third stop would be to be in Smokey in and the, the Bandit. Oh, Smokey the Bandit. <laughs> yes, like to your point. 
if you, I revere that movie, but I'd, I'd be in it in two seconds. If sure. I had a time machine, I would chase him in a cop car, be yeah. a buffoon or whatever, whatever's yeah. necessary. But I want to be in the things, but I don't want to be the guy who just walks across screen. Ooh. I want to like do something. You yeah. want to make a little mark in that scene. I don't want it to be like, oh, he won a contest. I want it to be like, <laughs> oh, he actually contributed <laughs> to the thing. Right. Now, with that said, you know, this long list of people that have been stormtroopers in Star Wars, like Pr Prince Henry. William. William. Yeah. I still can't get their name straight. Is there a Henry Prince? Harry. Harry. I guess the princes were in, or stormtroopers, you right. know, with the helmets on. Right. It's an esteemed group of folks who have been stormtroopers. Would you do that? Well, okay. So I was in London last year and I'm friends with JJ Abrams and uh -huh. he emailed and he was like, are you in town right now for Monday? That was like the one week I was away, so I wasn't in it. I would have done it. Oh, or, so it almost oh. happened. Yeah. And he still is like... Uh, I hope that didn't sound like a name drop. I mean, maybe. I guess it did a little bit. No, but, it was relevant to the story. Listen, yes. if I have, if the best thing I learned about uh, name dropping, Tom Hanks told me, you just can't do it. <laughs> you just can't do it. Tom Hanks told me, right. you just can't. That's not my joke. It's Sean Hayes' joke, <laughs> but I, I always love it. Tom Hanks' joke. <laughs> Who told me that joke? <laughs> uh, but like, for instance, Game of Thrones, a couple weeks ago, Rob McElhenney and Martin Starr are people who get like murdered. Wait, McElhenney what? got murdered? Yeah, very quickly. <gasps> we missed it. I, so he's a good friend of ours. Yes. And I knew he had been over there a couple different times to visit sets. I did not know he was murdered. Right. He was murdered. He gets like his eye shot out and there's a still of it. And then Martin Starr uh -huh. got murdered. Wow. And so I was thinking, would I want to do that? I love Game of Thrones. Sure. But it seems to me like a whole day of makeup and all this yeah. shit for yeah. like something that anybody could do. Also, if you're playing in the deep BG in the deep background oh, before the deep they BG. get to <laughs> before they get to your like murder scene, you could be there for a week. Yeah. yeah. You know? Totally. And they want to get it exact. I mean, this looked like it was a long couple of days. Now, do you think they were frustrated that the one episode they were in? It's it's not visible. Like well, it's the one before that actually. Oh, it is. So there were three episodes ago. It's not the big oh. fight where you can't see a fucking thing. No. Okay. Did no. you get frustrated at all with the? Uh... I love that episode. Oh, I love the episode. But were you frustrated with how dark it was? I saw it at at a movie theater. Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. so you went JJ to JJ Abrams. The... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. No, I saw it at the Chinese. So, oh. Yeah, they had a screening there for that. You were invited by Mr. Chinese. Yeah. Oh, wow. What an honor. Jason Chinese. You just hinted at this thing that's a pet peeve of mine where people go, and I see it on Twitter all the time and on Instagram. They go like, people are always asking me. And generally, I just don't think anyone's asking no that person. Asking <laughs> no. 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 I think we're really in a time where everyone's sort of dealing with their own shit uh -huh. and then only getting very angry at other stuff. Yeah. I think yes. that's sort of the era we're in. Yeah, yeah, the epoch, the outrage epoch. I think so. I mean, the fact for me, the height was it changed Sonic. They, they changed what Sonic looks like. Oh, they did in in, re, in response to some outrage. Yeah, so they did a trailer for Sonic, which I thought looked great, and Ben Schwartz, who uh, okay. I'm sure you know. Is, Wait, backups. I'm thinking of Sonic Hamburgers. Me too. I also thought the hamburgers. So there's Sonic. a movie called Sonic Hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic. It sounds like they're biting on um, um, Kumar and whatever. Go to uh, White Castle. Now they're trying to go to Sonic. <laughs> 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 
uh, Dax and Monica go to Burger King for rectangle sandwiches. Okay, so there's a movie Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog. The Hedgehog. Do you right. know who that is? <laughs> Just vaguely. It's is it not the same mascot as Sonic Hamburgers? No. Okay. They're very different. So Sonic so the Hedgehog is a little blue hedgehog. He was like a response to Mario. So they did a movie, and obviously it's a video game, so there are crazy fans. Yeah. The trailer came out, and Ben Schwartz, do you know Ben Schwartz? I do, yes, yeah. of course, yeah. He is the voice of Sonic, and I thought the trailer was great. The bad guy is Jim Carrey, he looks amazing in it, but people didn't like how Sonic looked, and there was such an outrage that the studio was like, okay, we'll change how he looks. No! What? Yeah. So they've gone back in and reanimated Sonic? Yeah, they're going to redo the whole thing. Oh, God, what if they put like long surfer hair on him and then Ben will have to go back in and do a whole different character? <laughs> He's like, uh, hey guys, uh, bad news. Sonic is now black, but we don't want to hire a different actor. Yeah, so. contractually, we can't get rid of Wait, you. You're going to have to. What did they not like about the look? That it just wasn't representative of the original thing? Right. It just was sort of like halfway between like Sonic cartoony Sonic and like, like too much of a real Sonic. So oh, wow. people thought his teeth looked like human teeth and it was okay. people thought it was off-putting like they tried to take sonic which is such a cartoony character and make it look more like an animal that might exist in the real mm, world right. mm -hmm. and and so now they're dialing it back to more of the cartoony version okay huh. they really listened to that fringe i hope that's a warning to anyone who would think to bring pac-man to the screen <laughs> yeah don't change it because it's so simple i mean it's, yeah. a, it's a circle with a pie cut out of it yeah. <laughs> that's right it's a pie with one slice out okay you have a very interesting story, and I'm very excited to talk about it. You were born in Pakistan, 1978, three years younger than me. I'm frustrated to announce. And you were born in Karachi, Wait, which... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you He doesn't ahead. like being older than people. That's what that was. I see, I see. Yeah. Do you like being older than people? You know, this is an interesting question. I forever... I always wanted to be younger than I was. Like when I was in the seventh grade, I'd look at the sixth graders and I was like, oh, they have it so easy. Like uh -huh. always. Uh-huh. Every kid wanted to be a grown-up. I wanted to stay a kid. And I felt like for a long time, like I always felt too old for how, how old I was. Yeah. And so I always, like when I hit 30, that was pretty tough for me. Okay. And so as I'm 41 now, I just turned 41. Okay. As I was getting closer to 40, I was like, what's this going to happen? All through my 30s, I was like ashamed of my age. Yeah. And then when I hit 40, I was weirdly fine. Was it that you had expectations of yourself that by 32, you were supposed to be this and by 34, you were supposed to be that? That's exactly right. Yeah. I felt like for my age, I had not accomplished enough. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, so I have a similar issue. And do you like monitor what age everyone else is that's got like something <laughs> wonderful out in the marketplace and like <laughs> you know what i'm saying like occasionally i'll watch like even we had we, we interviewed this wonderful uh aaron lee Carr. yeah documentarian yesterday you've seen her documentaries she made the um dearest mom mommy mom, dead and dearest mommy. that's really She's, good she made that movie when she was 25 and i i got insecure and felt like a failure well i mean because i was still unemployed at 25 i mean at 25 i was in free fall i you know i when i first moved to new york from chicago to like pursue comedy i was like i was gonna do this my friend pete holmes who's Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, very nice guy. He he had moved to New York a couple of years ago, and we've been, like, friends forever. He was, like, my first comedy friend. He was like, the one thing you cannot do is compare your success to other people's success. He said, you it's, cannot do that. I've seen it kill people from the inside. 
So I sort of made that decision to not do it because you kind of can't control that stuff. And I've been really, really good about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I have never, ever really been as upset about somebody else's success until weirdly the last like couple of years where I've been doing better than I've ever been doing. I'm more successful than I've ever been. But now I feel like that starts creeping back in sometimes. Interesting. Like maybe it woke mm-hmm. up just an evaluation side of your brain to begin with. Like, oh, wow, I'm actually at a rung that I'm happy to be at. And now I'm thinking about my rung. Yeah, constantly could you, thinking could, about my could, could, could that possibly be it? I don't know. I haven't been able to figure it out. Usually it takes me a couple of years later to be like, oh, that's what that was. Right, so right. It took me a while to figure out why I thought I was too old. It yeah. It took me a while to be like, oh, I felt like I hadn't accomplished enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And I don't even think I did it in a way that I was jealous or envious or, you know, wanted people's success to, to go away for them. It wasn't that as much as you're, I'm, I'm like an actuary, uh, like an insurance actuary, right? So I go, oh, Sam Jackson didn't get famous till 42 or whatever, right? <laughs> sure. So then I go like, oh, I guess I still could turn out to be Sam Jackson. Or people famously, they'll go, oh, Ray Kroc didn't invent McDonald's till he was 52. And that's so inspiring for a long, long time until you turn 53. Yeah. And then we're kind of out of people you who- run out of- <laughs> Late bloomers. Right, you run out of late bloomers. Uh, I had a thing I remember. <laughs> I used to get, I, I play video games a lot. Uh-huh. And there's an NBA game, NBA 2K, uh, that I've been playing since the first one. Now they're on 2K19. So I've been playing this game for 20 years, right? Uh-huh. And in each year, you can, like, create yourself and make yourself rookie in the league. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago was the first time it happened where I couldn't make the character my age anymore. Oh, uh-huh. I had to make him younger. Like, he could yes. not be born in 1978 anymore. Yes. And so that was a real, like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm definitely never going to be in the NBA now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I always was, was monitoring my age against NBA players. I don't know why. Now, the newest transition is I'm the same age as many of the coaches, which is a <laughs> real drag because there's really nothing beyond that. It's also some of the coaches look so... So old. Well, it's. I think it's a very stressful job <laughs> to be like yeah. biting your nails for two well, you hours. Look great though, and you're oh, very successful. You. You're doing great. You've got a hit show on the air. Sure, sure. Life is fantastic, but th- those things tend to not be related. No. How you're feeling and what the actual facts are. I mean, that's definitely been true for me. It's the first time in my career, the last year and a half. I was talking to Emily, my wife, about this a couple of days ago. I was like, you know, for the first time, I'm starting to feel like a little bit comparing myself to other people. And I want to control that. I don't want to do that because you can control it, but it still keeps yes hopping up. Well, you know, my motto is you should never compare yourself to someone else. You should only be comparing yourself to previous versions of yourself. Uh-huh. That's and, the uh, singular comparison Tom, Tom you should Hanks be making. Told you that, right? <laughs> no, Tom Cruise. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, I had to go above Tom Hanks for yeah. that tidbit. <laughs> oh, so we think Cruise is above Hanks. Like modern day marketplace, probably a little yeah. bit. I think his, you know, I think the last um sure. ghost protocol or whatever ghost. Yeah. I think it did well. Well, yeah, but but Hanks, man, Hanks is hard to beat. And no, Hanks is the breadth. number one all National time. treasure. He's National number treasure. one overall. I mean, I would say the breadth of stuff he's done for as long as he's done it. And it's to truly now name drop, have you met him in real life? He delivers in real life like no one else. I have met him in real life and uh, met him a couple times. Okay. He was very, very nice. Uh-huh. Emily and I were backstage at this 
thing, mm-hmm. like a conference or something, and Tom Hanks walked in. And there were like other famous people in the room, but everybody's like, oh my fucking God, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so we met him there. And then later ran into him at another place, and he was like talking to us, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Yes. And I asked him something. I was like, I don't have my... I haven't figured out my picture face yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. On the red carpet, I don't know what face to make, what to do. Totally agree. So I asked right after the red carpet, he was <gasps> there. I asked him, I was like, Tom, w- w- Tom. Yeah, Thomas. Because the weird thing is, if you Tommy. meet him, he's really very normal. Uh, yeah. Yes, um, shockingly so. He likes to be funny and goofy and do bits and stuff. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do on the red carpet? And he gave me advice that I've been following since. Oh, I need it so bad. What is it? He says what he does is it's very specific. Hand in one pocket, the other foot out, and then just a neutral expression. Neutral. That's what he goes. But neutral is hard to do in those moments. It can can look like you're dead. Think about you need you need like something to be thinking about so that your face. Mm, That's a clever strategy. I never even considered that. Like I should imagine like jumping a dirt bike. I have not thought of that either. Um, I've recently started experimenting with really smiling on the red carpet. I've done that a bunch too. Not well. I would just like do nothing <laughs> with teeth. Well, yeah, like like really going for it. Yeah, yeah. So I do too. Because here's my thing. I don't love how I look. I, most people don't love how they look. I suppose. But I have decided I look best when I'm mid laugh. Mm. <laughs> I think so, a lot of people do because it's real joy. Yeah. So I've mm. tried to actually channel a mid laugh expression, and that's high, very high risk. I'll take pictures with you know on the red carpet with Emily, and that's her strategy. So I'll just hear the entire time I'll hear her going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's great. To your point, I'm always really jealous because I've had great privilege of having posed in photographs with boxers before and they always go like this they either go like this i'm holding my fists up yeah or they put a fist out yeah what would we have well i guess my mid laugh is kind of most Uh accurate right right or yeah what is the person telling the joke what does that look like physically I just mouth open. And then pointing, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> pointing. Or, no, you could be holding a, um, oh, a microphone in front of you. A workspace That's microphone. Yeah. That's, That's what you're doing. I should 100% start doing it. you got to bring the cans with you uh, on the red carpet. <laughs> I would feel so much more comfortable. <laughs> and then just that. Because then I would think the, the, the viewer's eye would be drawn to the cans. They wouldn't be evaluating whether my nose is They'd symmetrical like, or my is chin is weak. Why uh, is he doing this? He has a sensitivity to extraneous noises, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, can I real quick yeah. offer yes. up a um, potential reason why you're feeling comparison? Yes. Because now that your career is expanding and you are really successful, there's so many people around you that have an expectation and who are also bringing in voices of... Well, you, you probably need to do this now or you need. So it's not really ah. you've changed. It's that there's all these people around you that are added into the mix that have a the lot of The whole career's gotten more self-conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do want to change. I have changed for sure. Okay. I really <laughs> wanted to change for so long and I can finally do it. Uh, I that might be it, that people have more expectations. Well, now there's this pressure for you to manage an opportunity correctly. Correct. Right. I am very, very aware of the fact that I have a little window right now mm-hmm. where I have these opportunities, right? And I'm very aware of the fact that it can close very quickly. It closes for most people, most mm. people have like a year 
or a year and a half where they're in a position and then it generally goes away. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very aware of that. And that is a lot of pressure on yeah. trying to decide what to do, what to what 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 to pick and, and all that stuff. So, I, I mean, you know, I want to be zen about it and say I can't really control the window, but it's, 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 I mean, you can a little bit. I was lucky in that my first lead role was a movie that Emily and I wrote together. It was really our story and it was well-received enough that the next thing that came up, I had to be really, really thoughtful about because I was like, it's going to get compared to this thing. Yes, mm-hmm. in, in in the movie you and Emily did, The Big Sick, there, that was a zero-risk proposition because you were telling your right. story. And you can't lose telling your story. It's not like there was some kind of huge economical expectation of you telling your story. No, it's a very low-budget movie. I mean, the pressure that was there was pressure that we put on ourselves where we were like, we want this to be really good because we're never going to be able to tell this story again. And if we don't do a good job telling the story, nobody's going to tell the story. The story just won't get told well. Yeah. So the pressure we had was pressure we put on ourselves. But you're right, there was no pressure from the industry or really the producers or anything. It was a very low-budget movie. Yeah, it exceeded, I would imagine, all expectations. Yeah. O- outside of the Judd Apatow of it all. Right. He was a producer, right? Right. I guess that, that builds in some expectation. Yeah, but it was Judd's, you know, it's by far the lowest-budget movie he's ever done. And because of him, he protected us so much, too. So, yeah. you know, the only notes we got were from Judd. Like, the studio would never interfere. Is the is the budget public knowledge? Is that Five million dollars. Five million. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you have to be nimble and, and efficient and, and but, strategic. when. But then I've been in movies that have much bigger budgets than that and it seems just as tricky (laughs) yes yes it has different things yeah okay so i want to hear from your perspective because i have a very i have to imagine ill-informed wrong idea of what it would be like to grow up in pakistan my only experience with pakistan is i was in afghanistan at a base staring at the border in a mountain that's it. That's kind of what growing up in Pakistan. Oh, great. Right? Then let's go to the next question. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it's hard to know because that's what my world was. So it's hard to be like, oh, it's different because of this. It's just what my life was. Well, like, here's something that was really shocking to me that you went to a Catholic school. Right out of the gates, I'm like, mm, that's not my guess is that you go to a place called St. Michael's. St. Michael's Convent School. I mean, there were a lot of those schools there because, you know, I think, you know, the British were sort of controlling us until 1947. So there were a lot of those schools they did not teach christianity at all they were just the public schooling system in pakistan is is tough okay and so a lot of private schools are run by convents and stuff by by nuns and that kind of now it's tough in what respects i did see a front line about the curriculum at public schools and it 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 was showing of course some some disturbing things about they're just um, uh, uh, well funded they're not well funded right no so i think that's the biggest problem that pakistan has is uh education Mom and dad are, are Muslim, right? Yeah. Was there any kind of like, it wasn't weird to be Muslim no, and send your kids to a Catholic school? Not at all. I mean, there were so many, those St. Patrick's, St. Paul's, St. Michael's. Uh-huh. There were St. Joseph's. I mean, there were so many of these schools and they were like sort of the, the good schools. And was there like an expat? Uh, contingency within there or was there like foreign kids there or not really okay not really they had an american school 
in Karachi, which was sort of the expat school. So those were all like the rich kids who had diplomatic immunity and stuff like that. Right. They threw great parties and stuff. Yeah, I did not get invited to them. <laughs> I've heard about that. What did mom and dad do there? Because it's the it's the industrial center of Pakistan. Yeah, it's the most uh, yeah. affluent city in Pakistan. Yeah, it's, it's over 20 million people. It's huge. Yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's sixth largest the, in the world. Is that right? Yeah. It's twice the size of New York. I mean, it's... And it's nothing to shake uh, your <laughs> finger at. That's a serious population. Yeah, that's that's like a Mexico City level. I think they're 25 million. Really? With, yeah. Um, so my dad's a doctor. He is. He's a psychiatrist here now. Oh, he is? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because you, your wife is a therapist. Let's a not therapist. delve into that oh, too much. No, I'm. We I, we're going to. <laughs> this whole podcast is just therapy. But yeah, I'm excited to know what it's like to be married to a, to a therapist. Well, particularly a relationship family therapist. So it's right. like she probably oh, yeah. has a a good sense of what a healthy relationship ought to look like. Sure. <laughs> and that's a little bit of pressure when you meet someone. I would imagine. It's been great for me because I know her more than I know anybody else in the world and she knows me more than she knows anyone else in the world. I can't lie to her, uh -huh. you know, we just it, we just know each other really well. And she's honestly really helped me, even though it's not her job to, she's really helped me deal with a lot of stuff that I didn't know that I was dealing with. Sure. Like, I didn't for the longest time. My story about myself was like, I'm really laid back and chill. And she was like, you are an incredibly anxious person. Uh -huh. And I, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm chill. I'm cool. Where should we eat? <laughs> well, we shouldn't eat there because that one time, I don't know what you do this. You know, let's order it. I don't know. Let's go out. She, for years, I've been like, you have this story about yourself that you're like this laid back person. You're not. You're, you're, you're very anxious. Yeah. And just me understanding that, although it sounds like she's kind of gaslighting me, but it wasn't. <laughs> that I, I have a similar thing. Uh, when I was newly dating Kristen, I'm out in the world and I'm presenting myself as a very laid back, chill guy as well. Mm -hmm. And then I had a black countertop and she was like talking and putting her hands on the countertop. And then she turned to go do something else. And when she wasn't looking, I wiped the fingerprint yeah. <laughs> off of the black countertop. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm a false advertiser. Right. Like, I want this house fucking clean as hell. But I think that's okay. I think you can have a persona that you project to the world right. as long as you know what you really are. And for me to sort of figure out the things that I had to deal with it took so long. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Smucker's Uncrustables. Oh, do I love these. I also love a food hack, and this is a good one. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them. Pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. We are supported by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Monica, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? I want to say I would write and read my New Year's resolution. Yeah, uh, I would too. That would yeah. be the same. 
The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DAX. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Mmm, ZipRecruiter. With St. Patty's Day around the corner, here's a random fun fact. The chances of finding a four-leaf clover are 1 in (gasps) 10,000. Yeah, very limited edition. You'd have to be pretty lucky to find one. Almost as lucky as Kristen finding a parking spot. Mm. There's always one right at the front somehow. Fortunately, if you're hiring, you don't need luck to find top talent. You just need ZipRecruiter. And you can try it free right now at ZipRecruiter.com DAX. No rainbows or gimmicks. ZipRecruiter leads you to a pot of gold, a.k.a. top talent every time. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology starts showing you quality candidates immediately. You can also invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. If you're even just a bit curious about how ZipRecruiter can help you, today's your lucky day. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Once again, try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Tap the banner to learn more. Yeah, so the story you're telling yourself, I think of it as your identity, basically. Like, you, this right. is my identity. This is who I am, right? I was listening to your podcast with Rob. McElhaney. Yeah, and you guys were talking about where, like, you guys, you like justice. You want to, like, go and... <laughs> well, and I the- am, like, the opposite. <laughs> uh-huh. and I, I have that thing, again, being an anxious, I think, high-stress person uh-huh. sort of is my baseline. If I'm driving and someone cuts me off, that can get me really angry, right? Sure. And I have to choose to be like, you know what? I'm not going to let that person ruin my day. I'm not always successful and I don't always even try to do it. But it has really helped me personally to be like, you know what? Someone threw a milkshake on my car or whatever that incident was. I'm like, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to choose. to. So this happened to me like three weeks ago. I'm driving. My gym is in Beverly Hills. I have to do a long drive. I'm coming back. There's a four-way intersection. I'm going, and this woman, this older white lady, just blows through the stop sign and almost hits me. And I, like, honk really hard. And yeah. she flips me up, and she says, go back to your country. Oh. This happened in Beverly Hills. Okay. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Uh-huh. It just happened, right? Yeah. And then I got really, really angry. Of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I was like, what? Uh, First of all, I was like, what? Like, yeah. I couldn't. And she was like, yeah. Oh. She, like, doubled down. Uh-huh. And so then I trying to pull out my phone to take a picture of a license plate, but she was gone, whatever. I was like, I could turn around and try and get this car, but that'll be dangerous. And I have to choose to not let this affect me. Now, it did affect me. Yeah. But I had to decide to be like, you know what? You just 
have to let that go. It's like the cortisol dump, like the what it does to your body to have adrenaline and cortisol in that state of mind where you're agitated and angry and aggressive for because when I'm in those situations and I'm fuck you motherfucker, stay in my country but fuck you. I, <laughs> I don't <thought> you're, <laughs> you're a dick. I'm aware of your race. But I don't think it has anything to do with this situation. Um for me, the next 30 minutes, I'm like, I'm I'm coming back from that experience. Right. And I just think it's really costly. So even if the person's like, you win, you're tougher than me, and I'm scared of you, and I learned a lesson, and yeah. I'll never make this infraction again. I'm, I'm going to, for a half hour, I'm fucked up over it. And I was just like, oh, I'm losing every one of these things I win. Yeah, I think that's right. I think anger begets anger, you know. I think, uh, I, you know, there is like a way of like blowing off steam that's okay. But I think the more angry you get, the more angry you get. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned that from sort of playing video games online, which I had to stop doing, because I would find myself getting angry and it was not an outlet. It was a kind of angry that was leading to more anger. Right. Uh, over and over and over. And so I had to stop doing that. And you just sort of see it online too, you know. It gains momentum somehow. I think there's a good way of blowing off steam, like I said, but that kind of exorcism is, it's tricky. Well, for me, I've got to learn the tricks to prevent it from happening. So I start right. monitoring someone driving. Like I'm the police, basically. Oh, this guy switched lanes twice, didn't use a blinker. He's an asshole. Right. I'm, now I need to start monitoring him, right? And now I have to go, right now, look at someone else's, car read their license plate make up uh, a some kind of acronym i get real busy on shifting my focus it. that's smart yeah and it's again it's hard for me to surrender to doing that but when i do it i'm so much happier yeah <clears throat> i feel the same exact thing just have to let it go i just have to i i am not looking for justice i'm looking to just be calm and happy yeah well the other thought i had was i was getting irate about the traffic and i just had this thought where i was like hmm Who's going to change, Dax or the traffic? The right. traffic's been this way for 60 years. Right. It's likely to be this way for another 100 long after I'm gone. Which one of us is going to change? Because one right. of the variables is a constant. It's just not moving. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it, you know, you just have to, because anger is irrational, but you have to try and think about those things to try and de-escalate yourself. I, yeah. I had an issue with anger for many, many years, since I was a little kid eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, like I was angry forever. Do you have a theory on why? Just biochemical or do you think you were frustrated with some situation? I don't know why I was angry then, but I do know why I was angry in my 20s and 30s. Okay. And I think I was angry in my 20s and 30s because I genuinely wasn't really in touch with my own feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. And Emily was the one who taught me. She's like, you know, there's four basic emotions. There's anger, sadness, happiness, and fear. And everything is a combination of those. All of those, sadness, happiness, and fear can all be turned into anger. Mm. So you see, like, obviously sadness can turn into anger. Like, I remember there was a guy who went and killed a couple, like, Indian people in a bar two years ago. And they found out that his that. dad had died nine months earlier. And he just was, like, really upset about it. Even, like, joy. Like, you watch, like, sports fans getting like yeah and then they get really angry uh, yeah. anything oh, that's a great into, example yeah, yeah. yeah. anything obviously free, fear can be turned into anger we're seeing that all across our great nation right yeah. now yeah. yeah and so for me i was getting angry because i was feeling all these things not processing them not being in touch with them and mm -hmm. it was all coming out as anger 
eventually uh, in like birth. Yeah, and do you think it's because you just felt more comfortable with that emotion? So the other ones made you feel a little unmoored for some reason? Yeah, like, I think, you know, I think anger is a manly emotion, right? right. I think for most men, that's the one they feel comfortable expressing. Men can't be sad. Yeah. Uh, men can't be afraid. Yeah. And, and men can't even be happy. No, even that's you're gay if you're happy. I, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. true. No, yeah. I know. It's preposterous. Um, oh. I mean, that is what... It's, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like if you see like in the 80s, you saw just a photo maybe in Time Magazine of like four guys walking down the street smiling ear to ear. You'd, yeah, you'd, be, you'd like, be like, oh, they're, they're, this is an issue about gay men. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> you really right. would think that. Right. I think that's, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Your open mouth teeth smile is not working. Out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. the message. That's, I, but I am happy to send that message. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what, so so I think, I mean, and I think most of the world's problems. Well, by the way, the fact that the word gay also means happy, yeah. there's something totally intrinsic in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just a little more, you know. I think if you're if you have to like if you're gay you came out at some point you had to do some introspection to be like, Oh, I am different from some of the people around me, you know. Yes. So I think that's what my anger was because I wasn't feeling all these things. And I think most of the world's problems are because of men who can't feel their feelings or are just yeah, comfortable yeah. being angry. A significant percentage of them. I would yeah. say <laughs> almost. almost it's, all. it's so many problems come from that. Yeah. yeah. So I really think that that's sort of, you know, we're obviously in a era where we're talking about what masculinity is and this stuff. And I think, mm. I hope we start redefining it as people who are in touch with their feelings and can feel all these things. You know, yeah. I cry at almost every movie now. I'm so jealous. And that only happened, started happening like three years ago when I realized like, oh, I have to start knowing how I'm feeling all the time. Yes, mm. yes. And then also the other thing, right, being okay with just having a feeling and going, oh, it's temporary. Right. You don't have to quickly try to to change the feeling. Just accept it for a minute and then it'll be gone. And sit in it. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah, you hear it. that all the time, but you, you got to really think about it. Because right. like our nature is just, my nature is just to be like, I'm uncomfortable and I want a solution to this immediately. Yeah, and, that's exactly right. Yeah. And then you just kind of kick it down the road, I think. I think also because, at least for me, my religion, basically it was the soul is good and the body is bad. That's how Islam was taught to me, at least. Okay. So the body is is the vessel of all temptation and stuff? Yes. And, okay. So everything the body likes is bad, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, sex. Bo even booze, food, drugs. Booze, all that stuff. And the yeah. soul is basically the intellect. Uh -huh. I was very, very religious as a kid. Uh -huh. And so I think for me, it might have been trying to deny all these feelings and emotions that well, I thought were weak. So this is my issue with all religions across the board. I feel like the fuel in the engine of religion so often is just shame. Yeah, I mean, you know, I it was very, very guilt-based, at least the way I was raised with Islam. And to this day, that is still the math in my head of how I approach every single aspect of my life. Like my neurons got formed with the math of if you do good, you deserve good. If you don't, you should feel horrible about yourself. Yes. And so that's still my motivation. And then even pulling back up above that, it becomes obvious. Well, that is a, a common denominator of nearly all the religions. So what you must quickly recognize is that we as a animal through our evolution are super prone to this shame, guilt. Like it's sure. it, it's in us some, it obviously served us well. My right. theory is we lived in groups with no police, so shame was a great 
tool to keep people's behavior in line. So it's just, it's in our genetics to, to be prone to shame. Right, and so I'm sort of aware of it and to use it in a positive way, at least. And I, I, I've I set up all these rules for myself, for my life, right. many, many years ago. And I'm usually reevaluating them, but I, I realize that to use the, I guess, the flaws in my thinking in a positive way required sort of constant care. Uh-huh. Yeah, but just an eight-year-old shouldn't feel guilty that they want to eat chocolate, and a thirteen-year-old shouldn't feel guilty they're horny. Like these oh, are. Dude, when I was horny. <laughs> oh, you must. I have. would. When I would like. When I would masturbate, yeah. I would feel awful about myself. It uh, was so 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 bad. Yes. I felt such awful shame. I remember showering and being like, "Oh my God, God hates me." Yes. Now I'm not even religious. I was I wasn't brought up religious and I was was mortified with my behavior when yeah. I was masturbating. Tried to quit all the time. Oh, all the time. Each time was the last time. Yes, each time <laughs> was the last time. And then I had these crazy rules where I was like, I guess it's fine to just masturbate and not have an orgasm. So then I would try to do that and I'd maybe succeed once or twice. Christ, and then now dude. I'm just uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my God. I went that far. I made this rule where it was like, <laughs> if I found a porn, they had to be kissing during it. Oh, and then I could be like, well, I think they're in love. The bargaining we do. Yeah. What a yeah. great rule. It had to be romantic. <laughs> well, somewhat. Like, they had to kiss at some point. Sometimes they don't kiss at all. Would, would you ever just stumble across one and be like, oh, God, please let them kiss? Because yeah, they're so attractive. I would two. just, like, scan right through. Okay, yeah, that was a little peck right there. Okay. Now I'm going to go back to the insertion. <laughs> the the non-romantic part. So w when you were in Karachi, did you have dreams of coming here always? Never? Did that seem impossible? Did it seem like you had an uncle that went to England? generation before you, right? Yeah. I think that was always the plan was to come to America if possible. And that's why they sent us to. So we have these schools. Those schools were called English medium schools. Okay. Uh, which means most of the teaching is done in English. So mm -hmm. Even if you're learning chemistry, it's in English. Whereas okay. the public schools, if you learn chemistry, it's in Urdu. So, so my parents always wanted me to come to the U.S. or go to the U.K. Oh, okay. So that so was, was always... always it was sort of always the plan, but it's so hard to move here. I would imagine, especially from Pakistan. It's so hard. Yeah, you've got to really be the best of the best probably to get in. Well, that's the thing. There's the sense that people think like, oh, immigrants say, you know, their gates are open. It's so, so hard to move to America. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really feel obtainable. I mean, it really felt like it was never going to happen. Oh, I want to back up. So dad, dad's a psychiatrist. Yeah. And he was in Pakistan. He went back and became a psychiatrist much later because okay. psychiatry wasn't really huge in Pakistan. Well, that was going to yeah. be my question. Yeah. And then my dad became one of the first like big psychiatrists in Karachi as it was coming up and becoming a field. So he would speak at conferences and stuff and he'd have articles written about him as this new branch of medicine that was becoming more popular there because obviously there's a stigma here, but the stigma there was very, very intense. I, I assume it still is. Yeah. And then, you know, to move to America, he had to start over. So he was like in his 50s and super established. And then he had to basically did like his residency again. Here's the thing. Again, I don't want to represent Pakistan in a way that's negative, but it's, you know, it's very corrupt and there, there's a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. For me growing up, I loved it and I still love it. But 
people do get murdered right. all the time. Yeah, did you yeah. do you feel like you had just a general insecurity about your safety as a kid? Yeah, but that was just what life was. Sure. You just knew like, you know, after a certain hour, you don't go to these places. And like we would skip school a lot because there was like, we called it hangama. It just means like general unrest is happening right now. Okay. And so Shia, Sunni violence, which are the two main sects of Islam, was very, very prevalent. Yeah. So we they wanted to always get out because life was hard there for us. It's so interesting probably to grow up where there isn't a generation that wasn't mired in war. It, it doesn't it's not even really a, a potential existence. It's like your your great grandfather did, your grandfather, your dad, yeah. you know, you're in the middle of it. So it's like in, in anthropology, we call it naive realism, where it's like you, you have a hard time imagining the mindset of someone else because of where you're from, basically. And so we go like, well, don't you desire peace? Yeah. But if that's not, not even, even a yeah. concept, really, so, how could you desire it? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I've read some books about it and stuff. And I don't know if this is accurate. This is my sense of it. Again, I don't want people to get upset at me about this. But 1947 is when, you know, the British left and Pakistan and India became different countries. Yeah. And from what I understand, the inception of Pakistan was very, very optimistic. There was a real feeling of hope there. You know, they were mm -hmm. like, we're going to make a country on our own. It's sort of the first country that was formed on a religious basis. So it was like a country for Islam because, you know, it had been hard living under the British. And with this, it was like, we're going to make our own country. And then there was a tremendous sense of optimism. And then over the next few decades... Things just got harder and harder and mm -hmm. harder. And Pakistan's had a difficult history. Yeah. And so I think for my grandfathers, I think for that generation, that was a big heartbreak was. Yeah. The, the promise not realized. The promise the, not realized yeah. and actually go really, really. I mean, you know, Pakistan's a very poor country. And, the, and then the disparity of wealth is really huge, too. And it's really corrupt. Uh, you know, we're, we're never on the top 10 most corrupt states list because we're so corrupt we can bribe our way out of being <laughs> right right i mean you know cops can stop you you have to give them money otherwise they could just like people get disappeared in in prison i mean it, this stuff happens sure yeah in general do you not like talking about pakistan well just to be honest it's that i have a complicated relationship with it because i love so much about it but i also see the stuff about it that's difficult mm -hmm. and as someone who's pakistani and there aren't that many pakistani people with a microphone in front yeah. Of their face. yeah and so i do feel a responsibility to portray pakistan in just a completely positive light by the way i i have this with michigan on a way tinier <laughs> note i really do like i'm always on like i love where i'm from i love michigan i also am glad to be away from where if you look at a guy in Denny's and he doesn't look away, you guys walk outside and fight. Like it's, I, <laughs> right. so, you know, it's, I think it's complicated to love where you're from and also like recognize once you've left that, oh, this part of California, I kind of dig or this part yeah, of. Yeah. I mean, know. the other thing I find, again, I'm generalizing, right, is I've talked to a lot of people who are second generation Pakistani who's sort of born here and grown up here. Yeah. And by and large, their relationship to Pakistan is so different because they their relationship to Pakistan is because they've gotten to curate what they consider part of the Pakistani identity. You mm -hmm. know, so they can be like, we love the food, we love the clothes, we love the language, yeah. we love the religion. Mm -hmm. You can take all the stuff that's positive and, and have that be part of your identity and not take the stuff that's not as positive. Sure. Right? So for them, being Pakistani is a tremendous sense of pride, and it's and it's not really. 
again, generalizing, not as complicated as it is for someone like me who saw a guy get shot in the head on the street. Right. Yeah. At what age? Uh, I was like 17. I was uh -huh. in high school. Uh -huh. And my friends and I, after school, we would walk around. There's like a lot of great street food. So we would like walk around and get street food. And I remember we were just getting street food and it's packed. You know, I mean, there are like people on the street. There's a very busy part. We hear like a loud bang. And it didn't sound like a gunshot. It sounded like something. It just sounded like a really loud sound. We were like, what? And then suddenly people part and we see there's a bus and there's a guy in front of it dead with like just blood pouring out of mm -hmm. the head, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it, apparently someone got off the bus and someone just came up and shot him and ran away. Uh -huh. And then I used to have nightmares for like years where it would always end with that image. Like different right. things would be happening. Mm -hmm. Somebody would get hurt. Yeah. But, and then it would end with that guy laying on the ground, blood coming out of his head. What was your reaction in the moment? I, I actually, I was sad. The, the, the first thing I felt was sadness. I, I, the, the feeling that this guy was alive 30 seconds ago and then now he certainly wasn't. Yeah. I'd never seen someone just being Expire. fully dead. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I, I went to my great-grandmother's funeral and obviously, but that's different. Yeah. You know? With yeah. this, it was like seeing someone in the middle of the street, young guy being like, oh, that person is now dead. Right. I wasn't scared, really. I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel excited. I just felt very sad. And that's uh -huh. why I always, I'm, I'm getting like emotional yeah. talking about it. It probably came out as anger a week later. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, do you think the anger has something to do with the way you grew up? There's always a sense of potential danger. I mean, that would make people angry. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the other thing was I was Shia and that's definitely the minority. So... We were like, don't tell people you're Shia in school. You know, they called us Katmal, which means cockroaches. That's like the term for, for mm -hmm. Shia people. In and that's not positive, right? That's not, no, 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 we that's don't not a revered uh, we don't insect over there. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're not like praying to the cockroaches. Um, and so, so I, I don't know. I mean, it might have just also been frustration at somehow being a kid and not having power. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it was. I just knew that I would have like, anger issues and I would get so angry and the type of anger where you really want to hurt someone you love like uh -huh. when you want to get really angry and you want to say the thing that you can't take back to your mom or yeah. your dad or your brother there's a certain euphoria that accompanies that doesn't isn't there oh followed by massive guilt and shame totally but the moment I can feel right now even thinking about it the moment where I'm like don't say that I'm gonna say it yeah in this wave of Fuck it. I don't give a shit about the consequences. There is a just a brief sliver of like euphoria that adjoins well, that. Well, what Emily taught me, so we've been together since 2006, 13 years, you know, uh -huh. a long time. And I would, not proud of it, but I would do that with her. I would say to her very hurtful things when I would yeah. get really angry. You know, we had to learn how to fight in a constructive way. And I think we're good at that now. But she was the one, she was like, you know, when you get angry... You get to the point where you say something you can't take back. And then when you say that, then you use that to come back down from your anger and uh. de-escalate yourself. And then you spiral from anger straight to guilt and shame. And she's like, that's that's the system that you've devised. That's like the fail-safe. That's... And she's like, you have to figure out how to not get to that place, how to de-escalate without hitting that like switch yeah and yeah. i didn't realize that's what i was doing i would always get really angry get to that switch uh-huh and then be like oh my god what have i done what have i done i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry yes yes 
We do that to yeah. the people we're closest to. I mean, yeah. that's it's they're the it's horrible. I equate it to. I read this article that kids on the playground they're super nice all day long they obey the rules they do this and then that and then as soon as they see their mom come in oh yeah they lose it right. they have no control over anything i had that too with my family because i was i wanted to be white and i wasn't and i blamed them for that subconsciously i think so then that's where all my anger was directed to and also because they couldn't like leave me Right. So I could do whatever I wanted to of them. Course. I couldn't do what I wanted well, yeah, to all my safe. friends. I'm sure. trying to impress my friends. Right. They have to love you no matter what. Exactly. So That's, where did you grow up? Georgia. That's so interesting. Yeah. And when did you realize that you wanted to be white and that that was the source of your anger towards? Well, I don't think I like had the, the actual realization until I was much older. I right. just knew I wanted to distance myself from that. Right. From, I mean, f five, like four, the earliest I can remember. I always wanted to sleep over at the, my friend's house. I never wanted them to come over. And my parents are really like oh, super- pro I'm in love with their dad. And they're not- And the grandmother. And the, exactly. I might, I might grab some beers, by the way, with Ashok when I have the time machine. Because oh. I'll be, it'll be before I was sober. I'll go back to like 97 and, and bang some beers back with Ashok. He likes a show. beer. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely I does. love him. But yes. Yeah. Later in life, you that's, realize, oh, that's what I was doing. I realized, but I was doing it the whole time. And sure. I, and I was pretty much aware that, like, I don't want people to come over if there's cooking. I don't want, you know, all wow. of those. When Harold and Kumar came out, she hated it. No, bend it like Beckham. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The same, sorry. similar. Yeah, okay. I was like, oh, I don't like that there's, like, an Indian girl. Now people are going to, like, somehow know I'm Indian because they definitely haven't noticed that's so far. <laughs> So, so, that's so crazy. crazy. No, no, but that makes so much sense to me. Like, so I, I don't want to get too specific, but I have someone in my family who's they've married a white person and they have two kids and one of the kids looks fully white and one of the kids looks fully brown. And the one who's really white was always really into their Pakistaniness and loved the food and all sure. that. And the one who was fully brown fully rejected it of course and yeah. wanted to be the opposite of that and now they're you know they're, they're older than me and now she, the 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 one who rejected understands what was going on but yeah, yeah. i thought that was so interesting because for one person it was like the exotic thing and the other one was like yeah. kind of, okay. well, and, and there's two two things are true at the same time so one thing is yes there is um there is some racism happening there is some exclusion happening right and so that's a fact Sure. So your brownness is part of that. And yet there's all what is also true is that all human beings feel excluded and they're all looking for the reason to hang that exclusion on. I really feel like I mean I obviously true for us and we are in the entertainment industry. I don't know if every kid felt excluded. I think there were some kids who felt like really cool and part of it and fully accepted and maybe that makes them less interesting well, now. But I don't know. I just don't know that anyone goes through adolescence without insecurity. Still something that's wrong with them. I, I think it's human nature. But I don't know. I mean, when I went to school, I kind of imagine all these kids have the lack of self-esteem that I do. I, I don't think, think the world would function. I think they do. I think that's why sneakers sell. And I think that's why well, I think we that's eat the way we do. And we uh, like all this soothing of this angst we have, because we're just this crazy social animal that is 
obsessed at all times with where our position in this social hierarchy is. It's just hardwired into our brain. So even the dude that you and I are looking up to, who's number three, his full-time obsession is that he's not number two or one. Maybe so, you're right, but I, you know, I just felt like some kids were so confident. And now, by the way, because of Silicon Valley, there, there's like young kids who like that show. Sure. But like seventh graders. And I'll be walking down the street and seventh graders will be like, hey, Dinesh, uh, <laughs> selfie. They're so confident now. Like, don't talk to me like that. First of all, it's sir. Yeah. Secondly, sir yes, I'd love to be in your selfie. Yeah. <laughs> so you you came at 18 and you went to college in Iowa, which again, is, there's, there's a little comedic value in the fact right. that you went all the way from Pakistan and you ended up in Iowa. Well, I didn't realize, I've talked about this before, but I didn't realize that America, first of all, your country's way too big. It's so <laughs> big. Yeah. Look at a world map. It's the third biggest <laughs> landmass, I think. It's so much. And so, you know, I loved movies, like Hollywood movies growing up. Mm -hmm. Like you only see LA and New York. So I thought that was America. So mm -hmm. when I landed in Iowa, I truly was like, Oh my God, this is <laughs> yes. not America. Yes, I, I, you had to have felt yeah. that way. No, it, and it, it, it really was true. I really thought it would all be New York or LA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, did, you, did you have fun there that, that for? I did. I feel like that's where I became a person. Like, uh -huh. I don't feel like I was a person until then. That's when I realized like, you know, oh, I'm funny and, and people actually like me. Like I really, until then I thought, oh, Nobody wants to hang out with me. Nobody wants to see me. But people who were actually friends with me, who I'm still in touch with, I was like, oh, they're just hanging out with me for some this reason or this reason or they feel bad for me or whatever it is. Yeah. And it wasn't until college that I was like, oh, I I have value. <laughs> yeah. People like me. I'm funny. I, I'm smart. All uh, that stuff. Yeah. And so prior to that, did you you had no comedic aspirations? Not at all. People now who I grew up with are shocked that I do this because I was so shy. Like I couldn't go to the store and buy something and walk out. Like I was by far the shyest kid. I think it was, I thought I was like very ugly. Okay. Like, well, this is my backstory. Yeah. Until I was like the age of six, I was the cutest fucking kid uh, in the world. I can see it. I mean, I can you see, see pictures of me. Yeah. I'm like objectively just like a just a little angel. I'm going to burp that baby in my time machine. <laughs> I can tell you right now. So cute. I mean, people all the time, like, I would go to a shop and people would be like, I'm going to keep you. Like, I remember being scared of shops. People would always be like, I want to keep you here. I remember I once went with my aunt to Thailand and I going into a store and this woman was like, yeah, I'm not going to let you go back to Pakistan. And me being like, super terrified uh-huh and then i turned like seven or eight uh -huh. and it went south my <laughs> neck got really long my head got huge my shoulders did not grow i got an adam's apple way too early i got a mustache way too early so i went from being like adorable to like truly truly like a child with pageria is that the, the disease yeah. Uh, I was like, why is this 39-year-old, 7-year-old in the shop? Exactly. <laughs> and they were like, we want to keep you, but to do our accounting. Yeah, yeah this middle-aged child. It really was weird. And then remember, I didn't like just go like, oh, now I'm ugly. I remember being like, you know what I haven't heard in a couple months? <laughs> <laughs> People uh, threatened to kidnap me because of my cuteness. 
<laughs> and then I looked at the mirror and I was like, oh no. I'm feeling suspiciously safe right now. My nose grew like way faster than anything else. Sure, mine too. So it Ooh. was just a nightmare. I got like glasses. Sure, so that it helps. It just went real south real quick. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by The Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. For a start, the exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender 110's legendary capability lets you go further and do more, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Its durability has been tested to the extreme. It can handle your equipment too, as the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Explore with greater confidence with powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display, an award-winning infotainment system, and innovative camera technologies. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. And then I sort of, so I sort of felt like that, that I was really ugly until pretty much, till pretty recently. Yeah. <laughs> and my problem is that I really like, like Emily says this, she's like, you really love handsome men. Me too. Obsessed with handsome yeah. More than I am women. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. I want to befriend handsome men. And <laughs> Emily's like, you know, handsome men really like you. And I think it's because like. I do like fun, friendly flirting. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I could like, if you had to name me like the top 10 best bodies in Hollywood, I could do the male list right away. Oh, and sure. I could maybe list like three uh, female Chris actors. Chris Hemsworth. I, oh God. What a physique. Yeah. My God. Etchton's the, well, the whole sick. Marvel lineup really is I mean, they just look great. outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we do that because we subconsciously feel like if they allow us to be near them, then we must be on some level sort of attractive to Like absorbing their status a little bit. Yeah, or like it, they're so beautiful. They wouldn't be hanging out with someone super ugly. Right, you never see a hedgehog and a cheetah yeah. having lunch together. Right. Yeah, <laughs> although I think Sonic does pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic and Chester hang out. Okay. Uh, um, I, I think that that's true, and maybe it's the fact that I was such a pariah in high school and yeah. all the handsome, beautiful kids, beautiful kids did not want to talk to me at all. So now maybe it's that. I don't know. But I also, because I think because I thought of myself as so ugly, I'd always put too much emphasis on how other people look and also how I look yes. to a point where it was unhealthy for me. And it's probably still something I, I deal with. Like if I see a guy who doesn't like take care of himself, I like judge them a little bit, which sure. it, I understand is not cool and it's very unfair. But No, I think it's fine to do it to guys. I think we're due... <laughs> Keep doing yeah. it just to kind of right the scales a little bit. Yeah. But I will say this. I, I heard this in an AA meeting. This guy said that, you know, he he's so driven to get approval from women because he didn't get laid in high school. And like, and that makes perfect sense. And a lot of different guys were sharing like, oh, yeah, I think that's my thing, too. And then it got to me and I was like, bad news. I got laid in high school. Yeah. It didn't help at all. I still want every single woman's approval. Like right. it didn't fill up anything. Right. 
it's just the nature of the beast. I think so. I think, you know, I think sometimes we want to try and find narratives in our life. And it's sometimes it's like, there's no reason. It's, I, well, we, I guess that's what I'm, I'm always rounding back towards is like, these are human conditional issues. They're, they're not like even specific to any one of us. They're just kind of general human experience. But I do think people had different experiences oh, yes. and different levels of like my high school experience was so fucking awful. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of who or what I am now is because of that. So I wouldn't change it. But if yeah. I had a kid, I would not want them to go through that. And I know there were kids who it was worse for, but it wasn't that many of them. Uh -huh. And and most most people were, were in a much better situation than I was. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes, objectively, a lot of people's experiences are much, much worse. But you discover you're funny in college. And, and then do you, when do you decide that you're going to pursue it? Because you, you graduated in 2001, and then your first credit, which is on SNL, is in 2008. So I mean, I've been doing it the whole time. You were. Okay. That's how long it took. You know? I, well, I'm with you. I was 10 years unemployed here in L.A. Wow, you it, were It's LA. demoralizing. Yeah. So for me, you know, it was never really demoralizing because I always believed that I was funny. Mm -hmm. and I didn't ever believe that I was going to make it, but I knew I was doing well on stage. Right. So basically in 2000 is when I first did stand-up, senior year of college. Uh-huh. And it was sort of this thing where... In Iowa. In Iowa. Uh-huh. Where I'd sort of fallen in love with stand-up comedy to the point where I was so obsessed with it that even though I was so shy, it just was not an option to not try it. I don't know how else to describe it. I just had to do it. If I had any choice, I would have not done it. But I truly had no choice. Right. I had to try it. I became so obsessed with stand-up. I watched everything. Like, I sort of covered 40 years of stand-up in a year, you know? It's all I would watch. Do you have a favorite? I would say, you know, at that point, I was obsessed with Conan O'Brien, that uh, show. Sure. Uh, I was obsessed with Seinfeld, uh -huh. his stand-up and the show. I was obsessed with this comedian, Jake Johansson, who I think is, is he's still really funny, if you can See him perform. Go see him. He's amazing. Zach Galifianakis. So those were sort of my people that when I first started. And I moved to Chicago. So I did it once, uh, first semester, senior year, one second semester, senior year. And, you know, the crowd was full of my friends or people supported me. It went amazing. Yeah. Misleading maybe a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> then I moved to Chicago and I started doing open mics. And I was very lucky in that I didn't have a bad set until I was three or four months in. Okay. So I'd sort of like been, because I was so obsessed with it, I've been writing for like a year before I ever did it. So when I got to Chicago, going up for like four minutes at a time, each time I would go up, I would have new material to try. And I honestly, I'm, I'm really not bragging, but I really started off doing really well in Chicago. Uh, right. And Chicago, the ceiling's pretty low. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I met, you know, a lot of, people who are doing really well now like Hannibal and Pete Holmes and and all these people. Yeah. And we would, Did you meet Thomas Middleditch ever uh, then? A couple years later. Yeah, a so I've known him from Chicago too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird that me and Thomas and TJ all started in Chicago and then it ended up on the same TV show. Did you know TJ back then? Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Was he doing like uh He was uh, doing everything. He's improv and sketch and stand-up? Yeah, he was okay. sort of the bridge between those two worlds. So I met Thomas through TJ. Oh. Because the, the worlds were pretty separate at that point. So you were only doing stand-up? You didn't do sketch or no, improv? No, while I was there. So I was there from 2001 to 2007. 
And towards the end of it, the scene sort of started mixing a little bit. Now, when you were crafting and workshopping and deciding what your comedic persona was, were you tempted to like, well, I'm going to acknowledge that I have an accent that I like, because to me, I can imagine myself just kind of going with the, for lack of a better word, the easiest way in. Well, if you do the math, you'll figure out that I started doing stand-up in 2001, uh-huh. like August, and then September 11th happened. Oh, oh wow. I really was doing stand-up right when September 11th happened. And what happened right after that was there were, people don't remember this, but there were a lot of like Middle Eastern Muslim brown comedians that came up right after that who were really talking about that stuff uh, a lot. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of st- news stories and stuff being done about them. Like there were really a bunch of people and the angle was always like, a Muslim who's funny? What? That's yeah, crazy. Right. And so my reaction to that was to go the opposite way. Was okay. To like not talk about it at all. Right. That was sort of my fuck you to the audience where it was like, I'm you want me to do this. Well, th- yeah. I, I think that, that I think that's brave. That's not the low hanging fruit. That's the much harder path. But it was also just that the people I loved, whose comedy I loved, were not like that. So it's not right. like I could do that even if I wanted to. It's not what I wanted to do and it's not what I really could do. So I sort of, I made it this thing that I wouldn't talk about on stage and it wasn't until... Years later where I was like, oh, this is a big part of me, of who I am. Well, I watched this morning your SNL monologue yeah. when you hosted mm, in 17, great. and it's so fucking great. Yeah, I mean, it's well, really, 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 really funny, all oh, of it. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I decided later, like, you know, 2006, I should talk about this stuff in a way that's, like, really unique to me or, or my actual yeah stuff, so... Again, it's back to what we were saying right at the beginning, which is like we have a narrative, we have an identity, we have ways we want to be seen, ways we don't want to be seen. And then sometimes we're actually denying parts of who we are, but then other times, you know, it's just, it's a very complicated decision. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that I sort of came to somewhat recently. So I've been doing comedy a long time and you sort of your goals develop, you know, so I was like, I just want to do stand-up, and then I was like, oh, I want to write for a TV show, and then I got to act on a TV show, and then I was like, oh, now I want to, like, you know, we got to write a movie, so now I want to at some point direct. So your goals change, right? Yeah. And I would feel bad about myself because I wrote for SNL for a week, like, I think it was right around maybe 2010 or something. Okay. And I wasn't good at it I felt and I I sort of would always feel bad because I couldn't do character like I have friends who are so good at it like Thomas Middleditch or Nick Kroll you know they're so good at that stuff and I was like oh man I'm not funny in that way and like a year ago I was like you know what that's okay Uh, that's a whole area of comedy that's not my thing I'm not good at sketch I'm not good at characters that's fine. Huh. I am good at other kinds of stuff, and I sort of have to be okay with that. I sort of, for a while, felt inadequate comedically because I was surrounded by people who could do that kind of comedy and do all this other stuff that sure. I would try to do, but I was like, ah, it's you know what? It's not my strength, and that's okay. Well, and there's this hiccup in reasoning. It, it almost seems like it would require some really heightened level of arrogance to assume, well, no, this this thing I do will be a thing. Well, you just sort of have to do the thing you do. You, you know? do, Get yeah. Better at it and expand it and deepen it and all that. But I, I, for me, it was that. I was like, I know how I can be funny. And I would read a script and they would be like, 
can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I, I was like, I would have to change the lines a little bit yeah. because these lines are funny, but they're not funny coming from me. Right. I know what I would need to do to make it funny coming from me, but it's not this. Yeah. And I had to be okay with that. I had to be like, if I can like control a little bit of the situation yeah. to work it to my advantage, that's not, not. I have a very similar take on it as well. It's like, I, I know what things are kind of weird about me and, and weird in a good way. And yes. so I'll go like, well, this speech, if it just even had these three words, right. it would it'd anchor me and who I am. I could actually make the other parts make sense if I can just ground it in these three little daxisms, for lack of a better right. word. I mean, and I think that's great to recognize that and to be able to, if you're in a position to like work those in, amazing. Like right now, I was telling you this, I want to get like buff, you know, I want to yeah, get buff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never been like that. I've never been big. I've uh -huh. always appreciated men's bodies. Sure, you know? they're and beautiful. I'm like, I'm like 41 now, and I'm like, if it doesn't happen now, it's not going to happen. And part of it is a little bit of a math thing, you know? I've, I've had people make snide comments, so like, you know, what are you going to play a superhero? What are you going to be, an action movie? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figure if I can be buff... If I can be a buff brown guy who's funny in the way that I'm funny, yeah. there's nobody else like that. That's for certain. Oh, I bet Hassan could th throw on some real muscle mass. Who? He, uh, Hassan Minaj. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's got that frame. He's got a really he's nice a frame. He's a tall frame, but I think, he's I bet he could. He, I bet he could pack on. Yeah, but on. He's, he's a social commenter. <laughs> That's, you know? thank that God. Should be his. That's you should do that. <laughs> and he's amazing at it. Yes. Don't try and broaden your... Just do what you do, play. which is amazing. I'll do this. You do that. We'll take over the world together. <laughs> I love Hassan. He's so he's oh. so great. Tell me your approach to putting on muscle because this is obviously a big preoccupation of my own. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I started doing this six weeks ago. I have sort of the summer off. I gave myself five months. Mm -hmm. I came up with a somewhat arbitrary number, uh -huh. 20 pounds of muscle. I okay. Add. So okay. I'm doing like body scans every four weeks. Oh, you are? Yeah. I'm really going for You're it. going the... um. The uh, Russian and Rocky Three around. Dude, you know what this guy does? It's so funny you mentioned that. So I have a trainer and I do stim training. So he hooks me up. He has a machine and he puts pads on me, electric pads, and uh -huh. they electrocute me. Okay. So if you put it on my bicep, contracts really hard. Okay. And then he makes me do like curls through that. Oh, really? So I'll be getting shocked <gasps> while I'm working that muscle with weights. Oh, and I, I want to do this. It's, dude, it. <laughs> it, it works the male female so, divide just like yeah. slam oh my god emily is so bored but <laughs> i am so happy you're here people are like does that work sounds like bro science, I'm like, <laughs> bro science. it works because i know uh, when i do it without it when i do it with it i yeah. feel the difference you're swall I feel swole. I'm yeah. very, very sore the next day. So I did like quads oh. two days ago and I'm still very sore from it. Oh, I want to do this. And I'm six weeks in. Not to brag, but I've gained five pounds of muscle so far. Great. Oh, six you, weeks. Yeah, but it's like noob gains, you know, like it'll slow down. <laughs> You're going to plateau. You're this afraid is all of Reddit talk. I go on a lot of like Reddit <laughs> muscle message boards. And are you taking creatine? And yeah, I'm doing creatine. Uh-huh. I'm trying to do, this is a lot, I'm trying to do 200 grams of protein a day. Yes, Yes, that's so, so hard, right? It's so much food. I do four protein shakes every day. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. And in the beginning, my trainer was like, you know, the hardest part of this process is going to be eating the food. And I yeah. was like, don't worry, dude, I got it. For three weeks, it was amazing. 
And then I hit a wall and I just could not eat at all. Yes. I would go to fancy restaurants with friends and I would like eat not a thing. Do you eat meat? I do, yeah. yeah but yeah. then what happened was I was eating a lot of red meat uh-huh. and it shot up my cholesterol. Okay, well, that's p- no pain, no gain. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm talking about it. I'm cramping right now. <laughs> um, so I went and got a cardiologist because uh-huh. I'm like, I'm working out so hard. Sometimes I work out so much I can't catch my breath for 20 minutes. I got a cardiologist to sort of, you know, I'm going to be doing regular checkups, make sure I'm okay. Yeah. I mean, the goal is to get rhabdo. <laughs> is to get what? <laughs> the goal is to get rhabdo. What is you know rhabdo? Am I saying it right, Monica? Yeah, rhabdo. It's, it's what people who do CrossFit sometimes get, like a small percentage of people. Because they're overworking one muscle so much. It liquefies like, and enters your bloodstream. And then your kidneys fail and stuff. <laughs> oh so that's God. the goal. <laughs> rhabdo. That, that's the, uh, I feel that I had it one time. So from one workout. Yeah, from I think workout. CrossFit is tough because there's a high risk of injury with the way that they train. The yeah. Very high risk. So uh, I don't like it. I, don't, I never want to talk disparaging about it because my friend Charlie, Charlie owns a CrossFit gym, Perfect 10, and I'm obsessed with his oh, body. speaking of great- Is that the name of his gym, or is that how you describe it? Monica, well, we, we, we call describe. him Perfect 10, and Monica made me this calendar of him, and it's all shirtless photos of Charlie, and I just, I just, I love it. It's great. Dude, I, I love it. I follow so many buff dudes on Instagram. <laughs> but your show, Silicon Valley, we, Monica and I fell in love with, because we were going to interview Thomas, and we were like, we should watch the show, and then we got- fucking hooked hooked yeah it's good i think oh, i didn't like because i love mike judge and i worked for him right i, I have this oh you're great in this movie oh yeah. thank you idiocracy thank you. yes you're so yes. good in it thank you and um i think i have an emotional <laughs> like there's an emotional weight with anything he does that i'm not in sure so i think i didn't want to see that show are you yeah. dude if i audition for a movie and i don't get it i cannot see that movie <laughs> And I yeah. am rooting for it to fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's uh, I think that's pretty normal. But um, but 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 we we watched it and then we were like, oh my god, we were sleeping on this show. It's yeah. so good. I think we watched like ten episodes in the first day or something. Yeah, we really. Oh, uh, we it love hard. it. You're brilliant on it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. There's more seasons of that, or there's we know? one more. I well, mean, at least it. one more. I at don't at least know. one more. Okay. We're definitely we've been picked up for one more. So we go shoot that starting next month. Okay, and that'll be season five? Six. Se- season six. So this will be six. Come. And do you enjoy it? I love it. I mean, it's the best job. It's it's great to be on a show that I would watch even if it wasn't on it, you know? Mm. And I love everybody involved. Mike's the best guy. You mm. know, Alec Berg is the sort of the showrunner guy, and he's amazing. He does Barry now, too. Oh, great. I, I have not seen this season. Because it's a, you know, it's like our... Like dad left to go get oh. another family. Right. It's that emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm very happy for his success. He's a true genius and a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. But it's still a little complicated. It's always complicated. <laughs> First, I just got to say this. because You were named 2018 time named you one of the most hundred most influential people in the world. Yeah. Wow. When, when that when that happens, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, you know, I was obviously very flattered, but any of these things, you just kind of got to skate by. Yeah, you're best not to even think about it, probably, right? Right, yeah. right. I mean, you know, of all the things, we, we got nominated for an Academy Award. And yes. that was amazing because I... For best screenplay for... Yeah. Yeah, the big sick. I love the Oscars. I've been watching them since I was a kid. I would record them and watch them over and over. And that meant a lot. But even with that, you kind of have to be like, give yourself time to 
appreciate it and then put it away, you know? And so with the time thing, I was like, I can't process this. Great. No, Emily, she was like, you know, you have to enjoy your accomplishments a little bit because the first time I did Letterman was so like important to me. As soon as I did it and it went well and I was like, okay, so when do I do it again? And she's like, enjoy this moment. Enjoy that it's done. You did a good job. And so try to do it, but... I had the exact same thing. I did Letterman. He seemed to like me. Yeah. I was so excited and I thought, oh, I'll be on the show all the time now. I'll be one of the guys he likes. And I just, I, yeah, it was all results oriented. Yeah, yeah. Like I was staring at him two feet (laughs) from my face and I was like, this is really the only thing I dreamt of. I was present enough, which is rare for me, to actually go, holy fuck, I'm looking at him. Well, so for me, doing Conan was like that because with Letterman, I just did stand up. I wasn't on the couch. I wasn't, he came and said hi and I was like, hey. And I remember being like, oh, he's wearing makeup. Like that was the only thought I had. Uh And then he just walks away and he's gone from your life forever. (laughs) (laughs) But with Conan, it's always like that because I am such a fan of his and he's such a big part of the reason that I do what I do. You know, and when I hosted SNL, before, in my monologue, I was like, I have to, when I go out, all I have to do is I have to take a moment to like enjoy and appreciate that I am here. Yes. Yeah. And so it's probably the hardest thing to do of the right. whole night, right? Yes. It really is because yeah. it goes by so fast and you really, so I was like, that's my only goal for the monologue. I want to like take a moment to be like, I'm fucking doing this. Yeah. If you watch it, you could see me. I actually have a moment where I like really feel it. Yeah. The other thing that happens in that is, I stumble on a word, and this is what happened. I was doing my monologue, uh-huh. and I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And I look over to the right, and I see Steven Spielberg standing there. Oh, boy. Under okay. a light, and it's definitely Steven Spielberg, you know? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, no, 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 no. oh, that's definitely Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and I stumble on a word, and if you watch it, you will know exactly the moment I noticed Steven Spielberg. Like, now that I've told you this, yeah, I'm gonna go back. Subtle. You uh, will know. Okay. And I like sort of stumble and you'll see me sort of look away from Steven Spielberg, <laughs> take a big deep breath and like compose myself and then continue. Uh-huh. That's my only regret in that monologue is that I like stumble, but it's a good reason to stumble. It's a great yeah. Reason. yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great monologue. Okay. So to, you're, you're one of the most influential people in the world. I don't dispute that. 2019, this year, this is going to be, ahead and dispute <laughs> this is going to, this is a big year. Because you're in Men in Black International, which comes out June 14th. Did you, One of my very favorite movies, it makes my top 10 for sure, is the original Men in Black. So good, right? What a fucking movie that Again, was. Again, I love that movie so much. And I'm like, I want to be part of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah no. And, and I think I haven't seen the new one yet. Yeah. But it's so exciting to be a part of it. I was just in yesterday to like finish up my performance. I play like a little alien CG character. Uh-huh. So I was there and, you know, you're doing ADR and you're seeing scenes and you're like, holy shit, this is men in black. Yeah, yeah. This is the big leagues. Yeah, it looks great. I'm so excited to see it. That's awesome. And then you also have Stuber with Dave Bautista. Yeah. Oh, you must have just been all over his body with your eyes. Oh, dude, you hug him. It feels like hugging a concrete pillar. Oh, (laughs) Oh, his. Is he a hugger, too? Oh, he really is. He's the sweetest guy you will have. He would be great on here. All right, I'll have him on. You would love him. And he is, is, I mean, if he's not a 10, who is? Well, maybe that'll be our first, because when Rob left, McElhaney, I said to him, you know, it crossed my mind that we should have done it shirtless. So maybe I'll extend that 
to Dave. Well, I will say <laughs> being with Dave shirtless is very intimidating because yes. like, Rob's in amazing shape, but, uh-huh. but Dave is another level. It's the other thing. I mean, I think Rob would not be offended. Different species, <laughs> really. I mean, he is, his shoulders are as big as watermelons. Oh. He is. But so I asked Dave for a lot of workout recommendations and stuff. But it's different. It's like asking Michael Jordan about basketball. He's just like, just dunk it. Like, yeah. that is not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, okay, maybe this is a weird avenue to go down. Okay. You know the alt-right world, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I, was on, I used to be on Reddit a lot mm-hmm. when that sort of thing was rising and I sort of saw it happening. Then I the kind of, of nationalism part? Yeah, and then I checked out and then... Um, like the incels, you know what that is? Incel? No. So all these, it's these dudes who are basically virgins can't get laid and have uh, called themselves incel as a way, uh, involuntary celibate. Oh, yes, I do know about this. And they feel like it's their right to have sex. and the- Right, but they sort of identify it as that. Right? Okay. And they blame women, whatever. So there's a guy, his name's Ziz. Z-Y-Z-Z is what he goes by. He's okay. dead now. He died at like 22. He was like a big workout guy because there's a big, in the alt-right world, there's a big intersection of that with like uh, bodybuilding. Okay. If you think about like men being men and yeah. being controlled, mm-hmm. there's overlap there. So I got sort of obsessed with that world. Yeah. And there's this guy. This guy like is was like super jacked, like gorgeous man in every way. And he died at the age of 22 in like Bangkok or something. I would assume he was on something sure sure like but i really got obsessed with that and now he's sort of become this weird like patron saint character so there's all these paintings of this guy oh really like putting their arm around like a like an overweight nerd or something Uh so yeah so it's like it's become this whole mythology this guy this like it's like he's like there's jesus he's a prophet yeah yeah immortalized him i i need to investigate that without getting red flagged by homeland security it's an interesting world i thought and i was i got a little bit obsessed with it well i do think implicit in some of these white nationals because i watch a lot of those documentaries i i think and i don't want to speak for all white nationalists but I do think that there is an underpinning of actual, a sense of physical inferiority. Like, I feel like it underpins a little of it. I think there's a lack of power is certainly part of it. And I yeah. think physical inferiority is And they feel like it. emasculated yeah. by the black male well, in cases. Sure. I, I think so. I think that's true. Like, because their ultimate fear is that they, like, the black male would have sex with their white women. Like, I mean, what, that's what, such a big part of porn right now. Black males with female, white females? Like the cuck thing is oh, a big part of porn. Wow. There'll be like yeah. a black guy having sex with a woman while her husband is like watching and crying. That's like a big part really? of it. Yeah. And there's these strata of masculation that have kind of been attached to certain groups, which is just very fascinating. Well, it's also interesting if you see someone like, I feel like I want to be a man and I want to walk a certain way and, you know, present is being intimidating in someone, which yeah. is kind of hilarious. But but someone like Dave does not have that because he has all the power already. So he's the kindest, gentlest, sweetest guy, super polite, you know, ne- never uses that because he, he just always he has it. it. There's another movie I just want to mention that you have coming out, I guess in 2020, is Lovebirds. Issa Rae, yeah. Issa Rae, I'm a huge fan of hers. Oh, I love her show. The greatest. Love her, love her, love her, love her. She's gonna, she's the future and the present. We had the best time doing that on that movie. Just like working with someone who's so smart and so good at this and so fun and so cool. And, you know, I've, I've, I haven't really had this specific experience other than 
with Emily where we're like making something and we're like totally creatively in lockstep the entire time. Like we yeah. had disagreements and, sure. you know, we, we, we would have arguments and stuff, but it was always like, it always felt like we see it the exact same way. Yes. Uh, might want to get there slightly differently, but but I love working with her and I, I, I hope the movie's good. I haven't seen it yet. Um, and that's your second time with Showalter? That, yeah, Michael Showalter. And I adore it. him. Though, Sounds like you guys fought a little bit on set. No. I'm teasing. I'm totally teasing. We had to fight for <laughs> on the big sick, Mike and I had Well, fight. I would imagine because that is a tricky, I've only directed things I wrote. Right. I've never had something I wrote be directed by someone else. Yeah. That would be very difficult for me. We had a couple of huge fights. We had uh, three huge fights. Two <laughs> were his fault and one was my fault. <laughs> okay, good. So odds-wise. <laughs> I think you would agree with that assessment. Yes. Um, well, sincerely, I do hope you'll you'll come back to promote something. And oh, we, I would I love it. just scratched the surface. I, yeah. I got I to gotta hear about those seven years in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, those were fun times. <laughs> to be continued. Just a lot of, lot of wasted time. <laughs> all right. Well, be well. Good luck with all these movies, and we adore you. Thank, Thank you. you.